5 WHMP. And this is a crazy Friday in December on the 16th of December. Hello, Dan Torres. Hey, Buzz. How's uh, Winter Wonderland out in Nashville? Come on, well, tell us. Here is the, here is the good news. Mm-hmm. The good news is it's gorgeous. I bet. If, if it is, um, it's a wet, heavy snow. I think we probably have 10 to 12 inches here around my house. Um, and it's the kind that sticks to every little teensy branch. Mm-hmm. So it's so, so wet and um, it is just gorgeous. It's a winter wonderland. The bad news is it's so wet and heavy and it's sticking to every branch that um, a tree with about a 12-inch stump fell directly across my driveway. So I had to go down with a chainsaw and spend an hour clearing it so that my plow guy can get up on my 500-foot driveway here in Ashfield. So that made for an exciting um, afternoon. I don't know if listeners know this, Dan. Do they, they know why I've been remote all week? I think you mentioned it earlier this week, actually, but you can again. I uh, After 33 months of avoiding the dreaded coronavirus, I uh, fell victim to it. I tested positive on Saturday after a couple of days of feeling symptomatic. Um, and I, I continue every day I test, and I've been positive. Right until this morning, my wife, however, tested negative this morning. I feel great. I was out chainsawing in the snow, so that's how good that I feel. However, twice today we've lost our electricity, Dan. So what might happen is um, the afternoon buzz might become the afternoon Dan. Oh, I'm ready for it, Buzz. I'm prepped and ready to go. Uh, You know what my fear is? My fear is people are going to say, well, that's a lot better. Why do we need the buzz guy? <laughs> I don't think they'll be saying that. They'll be like, buzz sounds weird. <laughs> so, you know, we have, we're all about governance on this program, as any regular listeners know. And there's something that's been going on up in Greenfield, of which I was shamefully unaware and became aware recently. And I invited the chair of the Greenfield Community Preservation Committee, Travis Drury, who is in the studio, unlike me, he is in the studio today. And um, I can't wait to talk to him. Hello, Travis. Hi, it's great to be here. It's great to have you there, even though I'm not. But uh, (laughs) so I guess the big question, the first question is just tell us about what, what the CPA is, the Community Preservation Act, and then about Greenfield's Community Preservation Committee. Yeah, sure. So um, the Community Preservation Act, uh, that was a state law that was passed in the year 2000. And basically it set up this statewide trust fund um, uh, based on fees from real estate transactions. And that money gets matched to any city or town that adopts the Community Preservation Act um, and, you know, the cities and towns can raise their funds um, with a local surcharge on property taxes. So basically there are two pots of money, and then what that can be used for is open space, um, protection, historic preservation, recreation projects, and um, affordable housing projects. Okay, and we're going to run through those things, but 
let's let's start with the uh, surcharge. So I think that the act allows up to a certain amount, what three percent surcharge on property. Um, yeah, property interest. Go ahead. Yeah, so um, it allows up to a three percent um, surcharge on property taxes, and um, Greenfield um, established a surcharge of one percent, and that um, gets worked into the math on how much of a match cities and towns get from the statewide trust fund. So we get a lower match because we're only at one percent, but. That that was the that was the level that it got set at in Greenfield. And who is Dan? Who sets that uh, rate? Is that the town council in Greenfield, or is that the mayor? And can they change that whenever they want? Um, yes. Yeah, so it was actually voted on. Um, voted the on. the city council um, developed the the language, and then it got voted on. Um, by the voters. So I think if it changed, it would have to get voted on again. Again. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. And I and I just want to ask this question. As we know, Greenfield has very high property taxes. It's it's a very caring community, and property values are not um, what they are. So you end up uh, property owners pay a high tax. But if if people are um, income eligible, can they get a break on this surcharge of one percent? Yeah, they can. And I I will add that. Um, Property tax rates uh, just went down in Greenfield, <laughs> which was nice. Um, but yeah, there are uh, two exemptions that are optional in the Community Preservation Act that were passed in Greenfield. Um, one of them is automatic, which is the first $100,000 of property value on residential and commercial property are automatically exempt from the surcharge. Um, so the taxes on that first 100000 you know, don't apply. Um, but also low-income households um, are eligible for um, an exemption from this surcharge, but they need to request that every year, and they have to go through the assessor's office. They have a form that can be filled out, and I think they just have to do it every year um, because, you know, incomes can change, and so they have to, you know, show that they're still eligible for this exemption. Right, but I think it's a wonderful policy. If if the value of your real estate is really low, then the first hundred thousand exemption would really be helpful. And if yeah. you don't earn much money, then um, having an abatement that way is really helpful too. So, all right, so that's that's um, how things get funded. So, what kinds of things does the, the Greenfield Community Preservation Committee do? Do you have a plan, and if so? Tell us the nature of the things you try to preserve. Yeah, so basically um, every city and town, and I'll just add that 194 cities and towns in Massachusetts have adopted CPA, so we're we're one of the newest ones, actually, in 2020. Um, but yeah, basically what the Community Preservation Committee is required to do is study the needs of the community in those four areas that I mentioned earlier, open space, historic, recreation, and housing. Um, The committee has to hold a public hearing, at least one public hearing each year to get input from the public to, um, you know, in that process of assessing the needs. And then the committee develops a plan on how they're going to evaluate projects and what priorities they want to see in projects being funded. And then once that's done, um, 
applications. Well, I mean, we, we had to develop the applications ourselves too. And then people submit applications for funding. Um, we review the applications with public input and then make recommendations to um, city council or in towns, whatever the legislative body is, um, for funding those projects. And then the city council you know, votes on whether to appropriate those funds or not. And then we start the process all over again the next year. Got it. So ultimately, it's the city council. You're a recommending body. You, when you say we, there's nine members. Are they elected or appointed? Yeah. Um, in Greenfield, it's nine members. Uh, the Community Preservation Committee um, can be five to nine, um, depending on how it gets set up in each city or town. And five of the members are required um, and it's one representative from the Conservation Commission, one from the Historical Commission, one from the Housing Authority, one from the Planning Board, and one from the Recreation Commission. So those are all appointed to this committee by those bodies. So I'm actually on the Conservation Commission, and the Conservation Commission appointed me to be on the Community Preservation Committee as its representative. And then in Greenfield, we also have two additional, or sorry, four additional um, people. Two were appointed by the mayor and two were appointed by the city council president. Got it. We're talking with Travis Jury, the chair of the Greenfields Community Preservation Committee. How much money do you have to allocate to these various, I assume, competing uh, needs? Yeah. Um, so as I said, 2020 is when we... Uh, first adopted uh, the Community Preservation Act in Greenfield. And um, we're, you know, in the early stages, but right now we have uh, $335,000 available. Um, there's more state match that's coming. Um, I don't know if anyone saw in the news, but the, uh, the state legislature allocated $20 million into that trust fund so that um, CPCs would get more of a match, but that, that hasn't happened yet. So we're, we're trying to be a little more conservative with what we know we have in our first year. Um, so 335,000 is the amount that we have available. And we got a, about $950,000 in uh, funding requests this year. Wow. So you've got about triple what you actually have yeah. in your the funding that's secure, even though you're going to get some more from matching funds from the state. How how do you and your colleagues on the committee um, prioritize um, and decide where these funds? I assume that this three hundred thirty-five thousand is for this this fiscal year, twenty-two, twenty-three. Is that right? Yeah, and um, I guess I'll mention also that. The Community Preservation Act requires that at least 10% of the funds that we get have to go into a specific account for open space or recreation, 10% for historic, 10% for housing, and then no more than 5% for administrative funds. And then the rest that's left over can be flexible and go to any of those categories. So that way, each of those categories will definitely have some funds that can go towards projects. Um, and the, right, but within each of those categories, you have decisions to make. That's true. Right? Yep. Yeah. So that's where it goes back so to the plan that we developed earlier, um, where we kind of assessed what, you know, based on all the other plans in town and based on all the public input, 
where we feel um, the needs are. Um, you know, some of the examples in our plan, um, we want to work on projects that, you know, projects that are shovel ready, you know, ready to go, um, projects that our funding can be used as like a match so that the project can get more funding somewhere else and really like multiply, you know, the amount that we're giving. Um, and yeah, just things that uh, seem, seem to be like urgent and needed in the community. It's it's a it's very cool that this exists. It's very cool that the focus is on preservation, open space, affordable housing, uh, all things which are virtuous and which any healthy community should be supporting. Um, you have a website. Uh, could you tell people how to contact you before we take a break? Yeah. Um, so we we don't have our own website, but on the Greenfield uh, City website, we have a web page for the Community Preservation Committee. And um, we have posted on there all of the project applications that we've received this year. So people can check those out and give us feedback either at a public comment in a meeting, um, through an email, or, um, you know, we're going to have a public hearing later this year to get, you know, more feedback. And we're also developing a form that people can fill out online with more feedback. Um, but yeah, we have, a, we have that webpage on the city's website. Yeah, and it looks like you meet roughly once a month. Some months you met two times, and um, some months you didn't. And um, it, to, to one extent or another, your meeting minutes are are posted there. Your mission is posted there. Your powers and your duties are posted there. It sounds like a very interesting and important committee for Greenfield residents to know about, um, taxpayers or not. It, uh, it sounds like the, the mission, um, the powers, the duties, and the funding is all something that people should know about. We are talking with Travis Drury. He is the chair of the Greenfield Community Preservation Committee. If you go to greenfield-ma-for-massachusetts.gov and then put in Community Preservation Committee, you can get there. We're going to be back there and talk more with Travis right after these messages. Stay with us. What about $18,000 of municipal money for a party to celebrate the opening of a new school in East Hampton? Fortunately, on this Mayor's Monday, our mayor is East Hampton Mayor Nicole LaChapelle, so we'll get to ask her. Plus, beloved educator and author Gwen Agna and author-illustrator Shelley Rotner on their new book, True You, The Gender Journey. All this beginning Monday at 9 o'clock. Get in on the conversation. Bill Newman. Weekdays at 9. And again at 5. WHMP News, Information, and the Arts. Hello, this is Chandra Richardson, Senior Vice President and Operations Officer at Greenfield Savings Bank. When you switch to banking locally at GSB, you're choosing a bank that has been serving the needs of local residents, businesses, and communities for more than 150 years. We offer a whole host of services and benefits without the fees you get at a big bank. You'll love GSB's free checking with free online banking and free GSB mobile app, which lets you deposit checks from your mobile device. Plus, GSB Online Banking and the mobile app come with the credit center, which includes credit scores and credit reports 
all for free. And the mobile app also lets you control your GSB debit card remotely from your mobile device. You can open your account online or at any of our offices. Switch to free and local at GSB today and find out how great banking locally can be. Greenfield Savings Bank. Greenfieldsavings.com. Member FDIC, member DIF. Mobile carrier charges may apply. Orthopedic injuries don't just happen to athletes. Muscle and ligament tears can happen from a golf game, tennis match, or even shoveling snow. I'm Dr. Connor Ziegler, sports medicine and board-certified orthopedic surgeon with New England Orthopedic Surgeons. Our surgical team here in Western Mass is ready to tackle any orthopedic or sports injury from shoulders to elbows, wrists, hands, hips, knees, ankles, and everything in between, including physical therapy and regenerative medicine, such as orthopedic laser treatment and PRP. Hey, Pat, who's on the sidelines this week? Running back Ramondre Stevenson is. He suffered an ankle injury in the first quarter of Monday's game. He's expected to play this Sunday. Devontae Parker sustained a head injury on a 10-yard catch in the first quarter. His return for this Sunday is questionable. And Patriots safety Devin McCourty was removed from Monday's game by the NFL's concussion spotter. He's questionable to return for Sunday's game in Las Vegas. So if you're looking for the best bona fide care around, visit neortho.com to schedule an appointment. With locations in Springfield, East Longmeadow, and Northampton, our team will get you back in the game. Want to support the kind of talk you hear on the afternoon buzz? Want to hear your business's message here on WHMP? Email us, your message at whmp.com. We'll help you craft a marketing message that'll reach listeners of your favorite WHMP show. And you'll be supporting the local news, Valley Talk, and progressive voices you hear right here on WHMP. Let us know about your message. Email us, your message at whmp.com and add your message to our mission. And hear your message right here on WHMP. Your message at whmp.com. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. And we are back continuing our conversation with the chair of Greenfield's Community Preservation Committee, Travis Drury. Um, so, Travis, um, this 335000 funding that you have right now for these various projects in these in a housing arena, recreation arena, conservation and historical arena, community preservation funds is going to be matched somehow, you don't know yet, by the state. What kind of applications have you already received? Yeah, so um, we've actually received a lot of recreation projects. (laughs) Um, I think people were uh, you know, as soon as the application process was open, there was like a rush of like all these ideas that people had about recreation projects. Um, so most of them are recreation, but we also have one um, housing project uh, and oh, what is it? Three historical projects, I believe. Yeah. That's pretty interesting. Yeah. And, and so- I guess how how does the committee... The committee has a recommending power, recommends to the city council, and how do you decide what to recommend? Do you have criteria? How's this decision going to be made? Yeah, so um, right now we're, uh, as I said, we've received all these applications, and now we're meeting with all of the applicants about all these projects and trying to get any questions that we have answered about the projects, and then... um, are they scored? Yeah, so we we developed a, a like a scoring rubric for each pro, you know that we that we use for each project too. 
But it's not just based on the scoring because then we also have to think about the dollar amounts and how mm-hmm. much is in each, you know, <laughs> in each uh, right, account. Right. So it's 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 difficult. And, you know, like I said, this is our first year doing it. And it's the first year for anyone who's on this committee. So we're, we're kind of learning as we go. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, we're hoping to get a lot of public feedback, too, because, um, I mean, really, this is public funds and... You know, in, in doing this radio show for the last year and a half, we've had quite a few politicians come by, and it seems like the one issue that they all mention on these radio uh, waves is housing. So, can you can you talk yep. about what you're what you're looking for in any housing proposals and projects in Greenfield? Like, how are you tackling housing affordability? Yeah, and housing is probably the most difficult of the areas um, to consider because. Housing is just so expensive, and you know, like I said, we have three hundred and thirty-five thousand this year, and mm. that doesn't get you very much affordable housing. Mm. Um, and so the the one the one project that we did get this year um, is for an expansion of the Wells Street um, homeless shelter, and they're actually going to be adding in um, some apartments that mm. people can move into, oh, wow. um, like permanent permanent housing mm-hmm. until they you know find find other housing. So um, our money there is actually going to be part of a local match on other funding that they're getting for that project because it's like a 200 it's like a 23 million dollar project wow. and they've asked for a hundred thousand dollars and wow. um, we haven't decided to give that money yet. I, you know right, I don't want right, to speak right, right. speak for anything but if if we did it would go towards a local match on other funding. Wow. And, and, and I guess Travis Jury that when the Wilson's project really gets to talking about, you know, sticking shovels in the ground on the on the Wilson project. They're talking about 65 um, residential units, and some of those will be affordable housing, right? Um, yeah, I'm not sure. I I I believe I read that. I I'm not really involved with that project, and if it is, um, you know, the Community Preservation Act can fund um, housing projects for people with. Uh, up to 100% area median income. So if it meets those qualifications, they could apply for CPA funding. So your committee, the Greenfield, uh, Greenfield's Community Preservation Committee, meets roughly month- monthly. Uh, last night it looks like that was a virtual meeting by Zoom. Uh, the couple meetings before that were actually in person you are asking people to please participate in your process so that you can get get a better sense of what citizens want. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Usually we meet um, in City Hall. Um, that that room was booked already, which is why we couldn't do that last night. Um, but yeah, we are going to have public comments at our meetings going forward. And then we're going to have a public hearing in the spring before we vote on projects. And we're also going to be releasing a form on our webpage where people can go and um, rate projects and give any feedback they have. It's a really good web page. I'm looking at it right now. It's under the you go to greenfield-ma.gov and you put in Community Preservation Committee. It'll take you to it. It'll give you contact information for the staff, the mailing address, and explain what the committee does and how it does it. So. It's, I think it's really important. I really want to thank you for joining us, Travis Jury, today. And um, any last word for listeners? 
Um, no, I just, yeah, thanks for highlighting what the Community Preservation Act is. Is there a deadline if anybody wants to apply and is listening uh, for anymore? Or oh, is this it for the first year of the 19? Yeah, the deadline is already over is for already this over. first year. And we actually have a two-part process with a pre-application and then an application. When so. is the next pre-application? Have yeah. you decided that or no? Um, there's no date set yet, but it'll be um, this summer. Okay. It'll be the next summer. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us and good luck with your process. And we, we'd like to hear from you, you know, maybe in a few months about how that process is going. All right. Sounds good luck, great. Kendall. All righty. We are going to be back with, with Duke Goldman. This is, I'm so excited. We're going to be talking World Cup, and I'm sure, Dan, you're going to have nothing to end I'm going to stay absolutely time. quiet. It's going to be all Duke and you. All right. I'll believe it when I see it. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back with Duke. Stay with us. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Police are investigating the circumstances around the discovery of two bodies at their home in Huntington. The bodies of 70-year-old Gary Rahm and 59-year-old Evelyn Corpheus, both of 12 Nagler Cross Road, were discovered in their home by a friend who had stopped by on Wednesday afternoon. The Office of the Chief Medical Examiner is working to determine the precise cause of death, but investigators do not believe foul play was involved. State police detectives assigned to the Office of the Northwestern District Attorney and Huntington Police are investigating the deaths. Outgoing Massachusetts Governor Charlie Baker announced yesterday he's taking a job as president of the National Collegiate Athletic Association, better known as the NCAA. Baker is a former basketball player for Harvard, but admitted the career move is unconventional for him. He'll now run the multi-billion dollar industry that oversees more than a half million student athletes. The Boston Globe reports that Baker will be seeing the organization through a dramatic period of upheaval and change, as college athletes in some states are now able to earn money from endorsements and transfer to different schools through a process that some say owes more to sports competition than academics. Baker said he did not seek out the job, but that the NCAA representatives approached him with the opportunity. A tractor-trailer caught fire on the Mass Turnpike eastbound in Chicopee. The West Springfield Fire Department said the incident happened near mile marker 49 around 10 a.m. No word on any injuries. Mainly rain in the valley, although a rainstorm mix over Franklin County and then heavy wet snow this afternoon in the hills, a high of 36 to 40. Any rain changes over to snow showers tonight with a light accumulation possible, overnight low of 28 to 34. Dry both Saturday and Sunday with highs in the mid to upper 30s. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Hey, it's Jason with the Weather Channel and SnowCountry.com. You're out with friends and a few drinks becomes a few too many and you decide to drive anyway. What's the worst that could happen? Drive sober or get pulled over? Paid for by NHTSA. Well, we're diving headfirst into winter with so many new trails and ski areas ready to open during our coldest and best snowmaking week so far. We've also got a big shot of fresh mountain snow on tap as we head into the weekend. Jiminy Peak, 15 runs, action day and night. Wachusett skis till 7 every night. Stratton's added some new runs. They're up over two dozen now. Saskadena 6 now skiing three trails. Oh, three dozen at Killington, 22 miles of terrain. Smuggler's Notch, over a half dozen trails. Watermill Valley, 14. They're making snow on five additional runs. This is a report brought to you by Smuggler's Notch from Ottawa. Family funds guaranteed. Visit smugs.com and check out more at snowcountry.com. I'm Jason Dean. 
At American National, we understand the tried and true farm and ranch lifestyle, and what's important to you is important to us. You deserve an insurance plan custom made to meet all the specific needs of your agribusiness operation. American National offers flexible farm and ranch policies with package options to help better protect your livelihood. We're right by your side. For more information and to connect with a local American National agent, just visit AmericanNational.com. American National Property and Casualty Company and Affiliates, Springfield, Missouri. Hello everyone, Gordon Oliver here. So let's face it, our day-to-day lives always involve money, right? For many of us, money is always top of mind, but here at the Cambridge Connection, we want to help you reverse that trend. Every Saturday morning at 9.30 a.m. here on WHMP, my co-pilot Tina Marie and I bring you a variety of amazing experts who can help you navigate that daily financial maze of life and guide you to a better relationship with your money. Bitcoin and crypto expert Ben Noble stops by to give an update on the state and fate of this unique currency. WHMP. In a little tent. Oh, and just like the river I've been running ever since. It's been a long, a long time coming, but I know a change gonna come. Change gonna come. Duke Goldman, it is that time of the week is fair is one of my favorite segments in the week and i guess the setup goes something like this um i in when i was a kid little league and etc there was this aspiration this ethos it was called sportsmanship that a sport or an activity it should be enjoyed for its own sake and there was honor that you always shook the hands of your opponent. You gave him a hand and helped him off the ground. Um, you know, how are we doing in the sportsmanship arena these days, Duke? Well, that depends on perspective. And I, I would set it up as being sportsmanship as compared to gamesmanship, where gamesmanship is using the rules or dancing around the edge of the rules to gain an advantage. And so there's a tension between those two concepts. And, you know, what, what gave rise to this for me was reading a, a, a piece in the New York Times on December 6th by a philosopher named David Papineau. And the article was entitled, Yes, the Players in the World Cup Do Keep Falling Over for No Reason. And he then went on to describe players quote, writhing on the ground for 20 seconds and then springing back to life and springing back into action, um, feigning, sometimes even feigning serious injury, trying to get penalties called or even get players ejected. And he found that to be, in his words, a transparent act of deception. Now, I will freely admit I have not watched any of the World Cup. I am not a soccer fan, but I, I have seen soccer players faking injury and i've seen it happen in in other sports too and i want to hear from dan torres in particular who i know is a big uh soccer fan world cup is interesting to him i assume you've been watching it dan 
What do you think of this? Do you uh, think there's any problem with faking injury? Um, well, well, first of all, uh, no, not really. Yeah, I don't see it as a big deal. Uh, and this per this person who wrote the article that you're talking about is British. So I just wanted to mention that as well. So uh, Britain is the type of soccer that I actually watch on the weekends. You know, when Buzz is asking me, Dan, what'd you do this weekend? A lot of times it's watching a couple games here and there on Saturdays or Sundays. Now, here's what I want to say about players faking it. They fake it for one reason and one reason only, because it works. Referees make the calls. Now, I want to tell you this. In this World Cup, I've never seen this before in previous World Cups, the referees aren't making calls to stop play. People are getting hit, and they're just basically saying, move on, move on, keep going, keep going. So players who are on the floor rolling around, they're not getting the calls. Once that is integrated into the sport, they're likely to stop doing this. The reason they do this, and what I guess upset me about the article is because it works, because refs give the calls. That's why. And they do it in every sport, as he mentions as well. So I just wanted to mention right. that as well. In basketball, right. in hockey, I mean, a lot of people can fake it in order to get the refs to call. And by the way, it isn't just to call the actual injury, quote unquote, that happens. It's to get the future calls, right? So now the ref sees that, you know, he maybe he missed this call or, or maybe gave the call. The next time a player gets hit, the ref is going to be more sensitive and make the call. So it's a collective effort. Latin America and, and the Europeans do this, some, some teams worse than others, um, but it works. If you get the refs and train the refs, as this World Cup has done, and says, stop making those calls, stop making even, even ones that do hit the guy's leg and he falls onto the ground, don't call it unless it's nasty. Then you get a different game. Uh, well, Duke, I, I'm wondering, Duke, whether you're with me on this, because... When you talk about gamesmanship as opposed to sportsmanship, and Dan says, well, they do it because it works, there's a lot of dishonorable things. You, you can pay somebody under the table and they don't pay taxes, and that works. That doesn't make it honorable. You can, uh, you can cheat, and that doesn't make it honorable if it works, um, if you can get away with it. I, you know, I... Um, I, I sound really sanctimonious, but I am old school on the sportsmanship thing only because most of my coaches required us to be honorable and not fake. We can we could challenge an umpire's call, but you you know to but you can't fake that you got hit. I would never fake that I got hit by a pitch. Nowadays, people aspire to that, right? Well, you know, there's a history of this and all sports um and you know i'm remembering a famous play in the 1969 world series between the mets and the baltimore orioles where uh a player was uh hit by a pitch or not and uh the player i'm trying to remember if it was cleon jones i think it was cleon jones outfielder for the mets and uh, uh the umpire did not call it a hit by pitch and Gil Hodges came out of the dugout, showed him the ball. There was shoe polish on it and the umpire signaled hit by pitch, changed his mind. The runner went to first base. The next batter hit a two run home run and the Mets were on to uh, catching up with the Orioles and winning the World Series. And to this day, there's still a mystery around it. Some people say that Hodges uh, smeared uh, shoe polish when he grabbed the ball. Uh, 
there, there have been situations like that through time. And uh, the question is, what, where, what, where is the line? What, when is it too far? Now, I think about basketball. I've seen in basketball players, um, you know, landing on the ground with what seems to be incidental contact um, in trying to draw a charge. Are they pushing it too far if they writhe around? Um, you know, how, what, how far is too far? And are there different standards in different sports in different countries? Dan, you referenced England and that the writer is English. You know, it's, it's a complicated question. It's hard to answer it definitively, I think. I also think referees are, you know, for instance, in baseball, they now have the advantage of replay. So you can't pull off claiming you were hit anymore by a pitch when you weren't because the re replay is going to show it pretty definitively. But how do you determine definitively if a player is injured badly enough or been pushed hard enough? Um, you know, you know, after the fact, when the player gets up, Dan, you're saying it sounds like, um, you know, referees should just let it all go. Well, not all Does go. That work? Yeah, I think, by the way, what I, I mean, I don't know what the uh, ramifications of this World Cup will be. Uh, in in kind of letting it play, but it I noticed in the game there's a lot more fluidity into the game when the refs stop making every single call a foul. They don't even give a card; they just say foul. You know what? Sometimes the refs just allow the game to go, and it's like, yeah, it was a foul, but it wasn't all that bad. He didn't get much of your leg; he got most of the ball and a little bit of your foot. And of course, the player's still down on the ground, like he got shot. Um, but uh, you got to let it go. Now, I, I think there's one way to help the refs and do this is to have to use VAR to help the refs and assist them and to make sure like, hey, was that a good call? Was that not a good call? Now, it takes away a little bit from the game. But if the refs are trained to not make as many calls, especially on the soccer pitch, in my opinion, you get better quality game. You get more flow of the game. And the players are going to learn that you flopping around on the floor isn't going to work. Now, Buzz is right. Like, I wish people were more uh, uh, upstanding uh, uh, players and uh, were willing to actually not fake it unless they were unless it was really painful and it actually hurt. But it's so hard Dan, to know. Let me, yeah, go ahead. Let me ask you a question. I'd go love ahead. to hear what Duke's take is on this as well. By the way, I love this topic, Duke. Um, but... It, in, a, in a sport that neither of you love all that much, which is foot, American football, um, there is this, it isn't, it's now old. What happens is when uh, the home team is on defense and the away team is trying to call a play in a huddle, the home team raises their hands to get the crowds to be so loud that the opposing team can't hear each other think. Is that honorable? Is that is that sportsmanship or gamesmanship? It's clearly gamesmanship. The question is, is it you know something that we need to call out? And I, you know, I, I I think some of it is just the way the game is played. A certain amount of you know, I mean, players learn to tune out noise, right? Fans boo like crazy in key moments of all sorts of contests. On the other hand, when we play tennis, you're not allowed to make even a sound, right? Uh, golf is supposed to be played in quietness. In golf, they have very, very strict standards and players call penalties on themselves for the slightest infractions. So we have a whole host of practices. I, I, I'm kind of left with the famous 
quote from Justice Potter Stewart who said about obscenity, I know it when I see it. And, you know, I have that reaction too in sports. I always remember when, when Alex Rodriguez, who was also a steroid user, um, uh, was rounding the bases one time and he started yelling, I got it, I got it. Um, and trying to mimic the sound of another fielder so as to get uh, the fielder to catch the ball to think the other guy was catching it. I thought that was kind of, kind of low, you know? I didn't, I wasn't impressed with that. With that. I thought that was poor sportsmanship. Um, that's where I'm at. I do too, I do too. Um, before we take a break, I'd love to get Dan's take on this. Dan, I remember, I think it was Virginia Wade, but the first Brit at Wimbledon in many years to make it to the finals. And what happened was they were using um, yellow balls then, and the receiving player who's who's uh, receiving her serve, all these fans had put on yellow wristbands and armbands, and when she served, they shook their hands uh, behind her to really distract the receiving player. Um, what, what is that? How do you think about that? What do you think? Uh, that's a little, I don't know. In my line, I don't think that's nearly as bad as what the maybe the Seattle Seahawks do during their football games where they get really loud, apparently, and they disrupt the opposing team's uh, huddle, which, again, is it's not technically illegal, but... Um, it's it's it shouldn't be done in my book, but it is, and I don't know what you're supposed to do about it. Really, uh, you can't stop people from not making that much noise. Um, it does disrupt their play. It usually happens in the fourth quarter. Um, so again, it's it's something that I I think certain fan bases like to do to help their team win, even though it's very slight. And you know what I say? What I say is the opposing teams have to overcome it. You're going to expect a very loud and raucous uh, stadium. You're going to have to create a way to overcome that. that that's my view. But, yeah, I, I kind of stand with you maybe as I don't really enjoy it or, or support it, or would I ever be involved in it? I would make a rule. If you want to buy a ticket, you have to listen to fair play. <laughs> fair play is what we're talking about. We're going to take a break, and then we're going to be back with Duke. I love talking to Duke. Right after these messages, we'll return to talk more about sportsmanship. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. Modest, very minimal increase in the police budget, largely uh, due to just regular contractual um, obligations. Holyoke is nothing like Northampton and Greenfield. The quality of life uh, issues or demographics, very, very different. So I can never compare our police departments. The challenges we have going on in our city are very, very different. 101.5, and 12.40. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. In this the season of thanks and giving, United Way of Franklin and Hampshire Region wants to remind you to support the organizations and people who are doing the hard work of making our community a better place. Please consider supporting a local nonprofit with a tax-deductible gift this December. 
If you're not sure how to help, go to uw-fh.org to find a list of United Way vetted partner agencies. The United Way of the Franklin and Hampshire region asks you to help make the Valley a happier, healthier, and more equitable place for everyone. Buy a mattress online? There are at least 100 websites that'll ship you a mattress rolled up like a burrito and stuffed in a box. Wait a minute. You and your mattress will spend seven or eight intimate hours together every night for years. Don't you need more than pixels to know what it actually feels like? Maybe you could just lay on the screen and... Hi, it's Robin from Talon Furniture. We mostly sell therapeutic mattresses at Talon. Not Tempur-Pedic, not trying to mislead you. Come to Talon Furniture and lay down on a therapeutic. I'll leave you alone. You can see how you are together. Therapeutic mattresses are clean. No toxic off-gassing. I've been to the factory in Brockton. Yes, they're made by fellow Red Sox fans. You like eating local? Try sleeping local. Talon delivers and sets it up. We don't just drop a big burrito on your doorstep. You won't have to wrestle it through the kitchen or up the stairs. Talon Furniture, a real store, just down the hill from Amherst College. FedEx says it wants to make it easier for consumers to return all those unwanted gifts this holiday season. Consumers can take unboxed, unlabeled returns, ones with a QR code, to any of the 2,000 FedEx office locations, and FedEx will take care of the rest. Product recalls this year in the U.S. have shattered the record set four years ago, and the year isn't over yet. According to Sedgwick, a provider of technical and business information, 1.22 billion units have been involved in recalls in the five industries it tracks, beating the record set in 2018. Subaru's recalling more than 271,000 late model accents because of an electrical issue the company says poses a risk of fire. The issue stems from a ground bolt that may not have been properly installed. The company suggests parking the vehicles away from structures. I'm Mark Huffman. Learn more at ConsumerAffairs.com. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. And we return to Fair Play with Duke Goldman. And Duke, Duke started talking about this, this article. Yes, the players in the World Cup do keep falling over for no reason. A New York Times article written by David Papineau. And um, we're talking about sportsmanship versus gamesmanship. I'm talking about honor. So let me ask you this, Duke. Um, by analogy to this this flopping question and and similar sportsmanship questions. Um, I'm not going to mention any teams, but the initial the initials are Houston Astros. Now, Boston Red Sox. Uh, you know we're not big fans of Houston around here, and in fact, our own manager was suspended for a long time because he was affiliated with that when there was a sign stealing scheme going on. Could you talk about that? Yeah, so the Houston Astros were um, uh, detecting signals and they were using an old-fashioned means, but first using technology to decipher signals, and then they were hitting, I think they were bashing a garbage can to let hitters know what pitches was were coming. And um, Major League Baseball had uh, banned earlier versions of this, and the Astros continued to do it. Um, and as a result, Alex Cora, Red Sox manager who had been a coach for the Astros at the time, was suspended for a year. 
Uh, Carlos Beltran, who was involved in it as a coach with the Astros, did not end up getting a job managing the uh, Mets, which he had been signed. Um, and, you know, to, I'm one of those people that think perhaps that was pushed a little too far. People feel like, well, you know, the Astros won something that they should not have won. Well, you know, like so many things, there are forerunners to this. And back in 1951, I'm doing research now for a book I'm writing on Monty Irvin, who was a star of the 1951 Giants. One of the most famous plays in baseball history was something called, known as the shot heard around the world when Bobby Thompson hit a walk-off three-run homer in the bottom of the ninth inning in a three-game playoff against the Dodgers to win a game and win the series. And the, it has been shown now pretty conclusively the Giants were using a forerunner of this, a telescope, to decipher signals. Um, and so many people said that the Giants had an unfair advantage and they benefited from it. Well, I, a member of my baseball research society, Sabre, did a presentation some years ago showing that, in fact, from the time the Giants had used those signals, their hitting did not improve. They finished the season in 1951 winning 37 games and losing seven, and it was largely the, their pitching that had improved dramatically. Um, and Monty Irvin himself said he didn't want the signs because a lot of times players actually don't want the signs, especially if um, somebody's gotten it wrong or somebody has an idea that people are stealing signs, in which case they cross up and a pitch could be coming at your head when you're expecting a curveball. Um, a lot of players like to react. There's often talking about you can't think and play at the same time. And if you're thinking about, oh, I'm waiting for the sign to see whether you know, I'm getting a certain pitch, you're not reacting. So, you know, these, the, these things have happened for, forever in sports. And um, I just don't know if it's always as serious a thing as, as, as some people portray it. All right. In that case, I don't see it as being such a big deal. What is a big deal, without a doubt, is the idea that a major sporting event like the World Cup is put on in countries where there is really horrible labor practices, societal practices, um, lack of human rights. And unfortunately, that's the reality of this World Cup in Qatar. Um, there's a term that, that is called sports washing and it is defined as the propagandistic use of athletics by a government to launder its tarnished reputation and uh, there is no doubt this is a, a there's a strong case for this with cutter in fact uh, uh 22 members of a committee who voted um cutter to get the world cup uh, have been implicated in corruption for that vote so to begin with um Cutter used improper influence to get the World Cup. They then had to build an entire infrastructure and they brought in uh, thousands and thousands of migrant workers who were subject to, to uh, labor abuses and, and allegedly thousands of workers died um, in the construction of the stadiums. And we're also talking about a society that is criminalizes homosexuality, a society where women are um, second-class citizens by most people's standards. Um, is it a problem to have sports competitions held in countries that are trying to burnish their reputation? I sure think so. 
I mean, I, yeah. I agree, but I, uh, I think the, the question is, you know, who's responsible for that? And it would go, in my opinion, it's down to FIFA. You invited, uh-huh. you basically established the, the relationship by saying, yes, you may host this party for us. And you knew what you were getting into. So, you know, when Buzz and I had this conversation when the World Cup started, uh, what was that, three weeks ago? That's who I laid a lot of the blame on. You know, you're right. Saudi uh, Qatar hasn't had, uh, hasn't made the commitments that I think most people would be making on all of those issues that you discuss. Um, but, you know, FIFA is ultimately the one responsible for this, in, in my opinion. Well, sure. And, you know, the, uh, the IOC was responsible for the Olympics being held in Berlin in 1936. And, right. you know... That there has to be pressure put on these international bodies to to be be better brokers of these decision making processes right. and and requiring that human rights are followed. Now the the flip side to to sports washing is sometimes uh, and maybe it'll happen in this case. Uh, it doesn't work for the home country. If, if anything, their abuses are exposed. This is what the media is writing about along with the, the sporting competition. It is magnifying Qatar's abuses. So well, I would hope I, that Unfortunately, that's where we're going to have to leave it. Yeah, we are out of time. Duke, I love what you bring in fair play to, to our uh, conversation, and I... I wish you, I wish we had more time because I love this one, but we will be back with you soon enough. You have a great weekend, Duke. Listeners, have a great weekend. Dan, thanks for remotely handling me. All right. We will be back with you on Monday. Have a safe weekend, everybody. Go, Argentina. <laughs> This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. Live and local news and talk for Northampton and the Valley since 1950. WHMP Northampton. WHMQ Greenfield. Northampton Radio Group Station.